did share that I broke all the weed whackers because that seemed important. Well, to it's share. just a public service message to everyone out there who has weed whackers. <laughs> Please do not let me borrow your weed whackers <laughs> or other appliances. <laughs> Everybody and welcome to Book Retorts. I'm Danielle. I'm Sam. And this is the podcast where one of us explains a weird piece of media to the other who has no experience with it. That's right. No experience, no knowledge, coming in blank slate, inscribe upon me the rules set forth by whatever deity you like. Oh gosh, Sam. Okay. <laughs> it's not that crazy. <laughs> See. <laughs> Let me be dramatic, Danielle, because I'm sure what you brought for me today is something that will shake the very foundations of our podcast and friendship. It is fabulous, I will admit. <laughs> so I'm bringing for us today, I think the first, the first Disney Channel original movie. Have Ooh. we done a Disney Channel original movie? <laughs> I mean, theoretically, I would have done, but I have not. So I think, I think we're in the clear. Okay. Well, shockingly, uh, closing in on 100 episodes is our first Disney Channel original movie. First of and many. It's the night <laughs> it is actually, and this is. <laughs> The 1999 absolute classic of a film, Don't Look Under the Bed. Don't look under the bed, because there are dust bunnies down there, and I don't know how to sweep under my bed. It is true that there are dust bunnies <laughs> under beds. <laughs> it's hard to get under the broom or vacuum. They're tight spaces, and like you forget, it and it's actually, a whole thing. I have a lot of dust bunnies under my bed. Yeah, all right. Well, I'm glad we solved that movie, Danielle. What are we doing next week? <laughs> uh, Xenon, girl of the 21st century. <laughs> Isn't xenon a gas? I mean, we saw that one already then. Okay, next. Spelled with a Z. Oh, well, that's so, not the same thing. <laughs> this actually, this movie, Don't Look Under the Bed, is considered one of Disney Channel, one of the best Disney Channel original films. By whom? Lists. By lit. I knew you were going to ask that, and I did not write down where I found that information from, Sam. Because, <laughs> like, who is, like, saying, yes, I'm a connoisseur of Disney Channel, which I mean, there's probably- It exists! I'm sure there does. Can I- you Wikipedia this movie? It is, like, all over that page. <laughs> I, 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 as soon as I said, Danielle, I realized, yeah, that 100% exists on the internet. What am I thinking? A foolish me. Yeah. And it's considered the scariest. It was, I think, the first PG Disney Channel original film, and uh, parents were, like, calling in complaining about how scary this film was. Ooh, I don't know if I can handle it, Danny. I'm a very easily spooked boy. And it's the director of Xenon, which I found out while I was researching this, and I was so excited, and that explains why I like this movie, as well as Xenon. <laughs> Have you looked up his uh, filmography, see what else he has done? I did not, actually. And I'm sure it's probably interesting, because he's probably done some other other movies as well you may have a new favorite director like, danielle that, that i do like <laughs> i don't know who's my favorite director but if, you know i do like both of those films and i think about this film a lot sam i think i mentioned that in passing once that this this lives rent free in my mind <laughs> well lives rent free under your bed you mean yes under my bed all right you ready for this uh i mean do i have a choice no well i mean we could just quit recording right now all right danielle way to like break our premise <laughs> <laughs> No, he doesn't have a choice. If I have to listen to Hyperion, you have to listen yeah, to Don't Look The premise here is that we're being held hostage by each other and forced <laughs> to listen to each other's weird meat until one of us breaks. <laughs> this is just like a long haul. Uh, what sort of looking for, Sam? <laughs> I don't know, Daniel. I don't know where you're going with that. I have no idea. Torture. Experiment? That's what looking for. Yeah, like experiment. Torture experiment. Cool. Great. <laughs> okay, moving on. So creepy music begins. Wait, I don't give a summary? Camera- 
Oh my God, I forgot the summary. <laughs> Danielle. I have a lot of pages. I was like thinking, hmm, summary of don't look under the bed. All right, folks, please stand by. I'll put some hold music in here. <laughs> for a summary, Sam. <laughs> and we're back, everyone. Yes, bring me the summary. And we're back live with Danielle and her summary. <laughs> All right, here you go. Okay, I'm so glad you, you took the time to find this, because what we have says, a spooky tale about a no-nonsense teenager. Wait, I gotta stop right there. I don't think there's such thing as a no-nonsense teenager. <laughs> Teenagers are mostly nothing but nonsense. You clearly haven't met Francis. <laughs> A no-nonsense teenager who refuses to believe in the supernatural, which only makes sense, until she is confronted with what lives under her bed. When somebody starts to play destructive pranks in her neighborhood, the girl is framed as the culprit. But when she realizes what the root of her problem is, she is forced to change her mind about the paranormal. I have one major issue with this summary, Danielle. I did cut out a couple things. So that's no, no, no. It's entirely surprising. My, my major issue is the disdain the summary has for the unknown-nonsense teenager not believing in the supernatural like oh yeah how dare she not believe in the supernatural <laughs> well i mean the movie is called don't look under your bed <laughs> i'm just saying not believing in the supernatural is like the default state like believing in spooks and ghosts is, is much less justifiable i think perhaps but i bet a larger percent of the population believes in something they can't see i mean i can't really argue that i haven't taken a poll recently <laughs> I bet there's a poll online. We can look it up. I don't want to look it up. Let's get into this, Danielle. All right. So as I almost got to say, creepy music begins as the camera pans down an old document that looks like it looks like somebody drew a two liter bottle of soda uh -huh. with strings attached to it that are tied to shackles around green monster hands. So they, they, they shackled a green monster to a bottle of soda. Absolutely. That's what it looks like on the document. But the bottle of soda is like silver. So you could say it's like an oxygen tank or something. <laughs> That's why you to get a soda <laughs> bottle through the TSA. <laughs> exactly. And then the title card, Don't Look Under the Bed. Cut to the camera. It's going at weird angles down a regular city street at nighttime with creepy music continuing. Do you mean like a it's tilted? Like Dutch yes. angled? All right. Absolutely. And it's kind of doing the like back and forth thing. So it looks like you're kind of like rocking through the city. Anyway, so creepy music continues and a voiceover comes it's a young teenage girl, probably our protagonist, and it says, Middleburg is a middle-sized town in the middle of the country. Boo. But sometimes <laughs> But sometimes in my dreams it felt like someplace else. Somehow familiar, but also very strange. Middleburg is where I live, but also something else. Wait, 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 wait. Did she say Middleburg? feels familiar even like you live there I, I would expect it to feel familiar it's saying in the dreams it's familiar but it's also different than usual so i'm uh, sorry maybe i missed some so she's having dreams about her hometown that make that are oh familiar. my gosh it says sometimes in my dreams okay. it felt like someplace else <laughs> I don't know it's like does she dream like sometimes she's dreaming about being in her hometown and it feels like someplace she else is. All right. I think the camera and the dark and the creepy music is supposed to be her dream. Oh, okay. I, I did not grok that. I, I thought, 
I don't know, like, who dreams about their hometown all the time? Like, oh, that's like dream about going to work the next day. That always sucks. I don't know. She's just in the town. Maybe it's whatever her dream is is taking place in the town. Okay. So the camera, t- like, turns. You see a girl tossing and turning in her bed, and whispers are coming up surrounding her. And the digital clock next to her bed is moving forward very quickly, like, speeding towards dawn. And you see monster shadow hands crawl along her wall. Ooh. And the alarm goes off, and the girl suddenly awakens, and the voiceover says, My my name is Frances Bacon McCausland. And no. I'm 14 years old. <laughs> I knew you'd love that. <laughs> and I'm not sure what the, the choice is because all the siblings have crazy names. <laughs> like, so we got Sir Francis Bacon. Cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what the other ones are there. yet, but I'm sure they'll be equally as uh, weird. You don't hear their full names, which is unfortunate, but you do hear their first names. So everybody is awake in the house. The parents are looking out the window in the kitchen, wondering why it's so dark outside. All the clocks read that it's 7 a.m., you know, past 7 a.m. And the mom thinks a storm is moving in. Everyone's super exhausted, like they hadn't slept. And the dad, fun fact, is played by Stephen Tablowski, which is Ned Ryerson in Groundhog Day. Oh, great. I'm glad he has other work. <laughs> In 1999. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he's a great actor who's done many great things. I'm unfamiliar with his body of work. Yep, but he's in this. Uh, and he tells them that the barometer suggests that there is no storm, and Francis's brother suggests that the clocks are all wrong. Okay, a couple of things. Yeah. A barometer, does it tell you if there's a storm happening right now or not? Because I think you look out a window, right? I mean, I think the barometer changes depending on what the weather's doing I, I mean, I know what a barometer is. pressure, right? Yeah, but it is isn't it usually you have to look at the diff- the change in pressure over time? I don't know the answer to that, Sam. I don't I'm not a, a meteorologist, but I thought it was like if you saw the pressure was dropping, like the low pressure front is like a storm front. Well, maybe it's not low enough to suggest that there's a storm on its way. I don't know. Yeah, but like if you look outside and it's raining, I don't care what the barometer says, it's definitely it's not storm. raining. It's just dark. Oh, it's okay. just like and when they look, it's so funny because you can see what they're looking at and it just looks dark. You're like, like probably before seven. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's <laughs> There's a morning. difference between like storm dark versus just dark dark. Like pre-dawn dark. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't quite clear on that whole setting. So thank you for clarifying. <laughs> You're welcome. And the dad says that he always sets the clocks by the Naval Observatory's website, so he'll go and check it out. And I thought maybe her dad was like, you know, like in the military or something previously, but you find out later he just has like, yeah, he's just a nerd. He has like a PhD in solid waste management or something insane. (laughs) That's awesome. Also, (laughs) this is 999, right? You said? Yes. They had atomic clocks and they could have set them that way. If this guy was such a time nerd, he should have used that. Oh, he's using the Naval Observatory's website. <laughs> Why would all their clocks be off by exactly the same amount? Okay, Sam, we're going to get there. Okay, because that just seems like... Eventually, for, sort of. I mean, that kid, like the, the brother saying, oh yeah, maybe the clock's wrong. Like, oh, all the clocks just sort of happen to go wrong at the same time? Yeah. That seems... We'll, we'll get into that. Okay. There, we'll get into it. <laughs> Sort of. Uh, that's a, just not my first guess, is what I would say. No. So the dad goes off to check the time. The mom's looking through the fridge for breakfast, but the two dozen eggs inside are missing. And she's like, where are my eggs? And the father comes back into the room and announces, in shock, that it's only 4.23 a.m. So they are three hours ahead, the clocks. No wonder they're so tired. Yeah, so all the clocks are wrong. And everybody's very weirded out by this, but they all go back to bed. I gotta say, one other thing. If I woke up at four in the morning... And my clock said 7.30. Like, I think my circadian rhythm would be telling me this is not 7 in the morning. Well, they're all, like, exhausted. Like, they're just, like, their heads are down on the table. They're all yawning. Like, they're clearly very out of it. But since every clock in the entire house reads 7.23, yeah. they're like, 
of us be seven. Okay. All right. I just, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and that's why they checked it out because they were confused. So Frances voiceover tells us that it was hard to get back to sleep because she kept wondering why the clocks had sped up. Yeah. She knew there had to be a logical explanation. Mm. <laughs> She's that kid. <laughs> All right. I mean, to be fair, I would probably be Francis as a teenager. <laughs> you probably relate to Francis. I here. do. All right. I'm rooting for Francis Bacon over here. <laughs> so as she drifts off to sleep, dogs kind of bark in the background. You can hear them out in the dark. And then the camera slides to the outside and you see a foot dressed in a leather shoe on top of a roof. And there are these long toenails poking out of the front of it, like the front of the shoes kind Gross. of cut out and the toenails poke out. Really long ones. Nope. And don't a metal like that. mouse. <laughs> A little metal mouse is used as a buckle, which I don't know why, but it's hilarious. <laughs> All right. And these giant claws cut into a the biggest bag of dog bones that you've ever seen. I mean, it looks like dog food, and then he cuts it open, and dog bones just, like, spill out. <laughs> so you just cut to a, a picture of a, a shot of a bag of dog treats and some claws cut into it. Yep, and they all spill out onto the roof, and the creature laughs maniacally. So wait, is the creature on the roof the one? I, I, I don't understand where the dog food is doing, on, why the dog bag is on the roof. So the creature is on the roof with this dog food okay, bag. Okay, okay. I didn't know the dog Bag food. of bones. Okay, got it. And a fluffy white dog is down below, and you see that, and he's whining, and you see a dog bone on a string lower itself in front of the dog as it begs for it, and the creature voice says, that's right, come here. <laughs> I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it held up. It's so good. <laughs> All right, there's your review from Danielle. She loves a cackling (laughs) villain with toenail boots. It's a really, it's like, oh, it's a weird movie. It's so good. (laughs) I I watched this at the right time in my life. It really stuck with me. I can tell. All right. So he's teasing a dog with like the classic, you know, treat on a string. Uh Uh-huh. And the next morning, so the real morning, Frances is coming out of her house. It's daylight, obviously. And the voiceover announces that most kids her age are in middle school, but she skipped a grade. She, that you shouldn't waste a lot of time growing up. Oh, uh, no. That's you. This is where her and I are going to differ. <laughs> so on her way to school, she hears from a friend that her and a bunch of others had the same issues with their alarm clocks. And Francis insists there has to be a logical explanation to this. Though when they round the corner, they see that all the neighbor's dogs are now on their roofs. Okay. So this trickster poltergeist evil dude Mm -hmm. his plan was to use the dog one on a string to lure the dogs up to the roof i don't know how they got up that's what i'm getting at like did they like grab on like a fish and then he like reeled them up because i think the dogs don't have the jaw strength to support their entire bodies generally like maybe a small dog but larger dogs yeah i don't i can't tell you so maybe he just got them all the dogs to come to him and then pick them up and carry them up yeah i'd have to imagine i want to see like him like trying to pick up like uh, a saint bernard be like oh come on you can jump the roof then like climb up a ladder and he falls off and he's like get back up and like go grab the dog again and try to get back up the ladder <laughs> yeah the best of the best part of this is that there's dogs all over the neighborhood you know it's a suburban middle class yeah, neighborhood yeah, yeah. and there's just dogs middleburg on the middle land the mid-sized yeah. <laughs> town and the midwest i don't know where it is but like yeah okay well it's the middle of the country so yes probably the midwest yeah, give or take and the they kind of look at them and people aren't even up yet like it's you know 7 30 in the morning eight o'clock in the morning i don't know it doesn't seem like anybody's out there trying to rescue their dogs and they're just like well that's weird and francis is like yeah i don't have any explanation for that and they just continue their walk no they don't, like tell anybody that there's dogs on the roof they don't help 
<laughs> it's great. And why aren't the dogs like getting off the roof? Like, I would know many dogs that would just jump off the just roof. Jump, yeah, <laughs> no, and, and like crack a leg. Yep, totally I mean, what they would do. Nope, maybe they can crack a leg, like barking. depending on how close to, like the ground is to the the bottom of the roof and everything. Yep. So they're nope. There's dogs on roofs. Nobody's doing anything. Great. They walk out of school. Those kids are so disaffected. They are. So on the way in, they pass by Francis's biology teacher who says hello while he's taking a rag to his vintage blue convertible. He clearly cares for it deeply. His teacher? <laughs> the teacher. The biology teacher. The biology teacher is polishing their car in the school parking lot. Yeah. He like cl- he just pulled up, <laughs> got out of his car, and then he's like wiping it down before uh, he goes in. <laughs> A, I don't think a middle school teacher, unfortunately, has a kind of salary that would support that kind of car, which is a real (laughs) indictment of our education system, but that's a whole other conversation. B, (laughs) if you did care about your car, you would not bring it to a school full of middle school children and park it there unattended. Like, that is. Park it in front of the building. I agree. No, that's crazy. If you actually loved your car that much, you would not bring it to your place of work, especially if it's a school. (laughs) Well, he did, and it's there. It's going to get smashed. Francis is telling her friend about one of her biology classes when she pauses, looking across the quad, and the camera zooms in on a boy sitting casually on a decorative rock watching them. Ooh, look at the Uh mysterious boy. And Francis giggles, and she's like, why is that guy watching us? And her friend looks over but doesn't see anybody. And when Francis looks back, the guy's gone. Ooh, a fey trickster boy, even better. (laughs) Or ghost, who knows? I do like the idea that he's a fey trickster, though. That'd be a different plot. The, there was a book I read about that, but that's the whole thing. There was a book I read about a ghost romance by Peter S. Beagle. So, you know, the last unicorn guy. I might have a book that I might do where a ghost lives in someone's bedroom. So Ooh, <laughs> that's, less, that's way grosser than the, the Tamsin book that's I read. That's funny. <laughs> Although, so to be fair, rings. to be fair, if I was a ghost in dead, I'd be like, what are they going to do? You know, throw me in jail? Like, I'm going to get my well, kicks. Spoiler, the ghost was, like, in the house when he died, so that's his room. <laughs> right. I'm just saying, like, I, I, I do not expect a ghost to be bound by the moral code of the living. No, not at all. <laughs> so the bell rings and Francis is left alone out in front. I guess everybody just disappears immediately inside. And she's looking around trying to see if she can find the boy. And you see that he's sitting above the entryway, like he's above her, watching her. And she looks around the yard of the school in search of him, but she can't find him. What's he sitting on above the entryway? The roof? It's like a little, it's kind of like, it's not the roof roof, but it's like a little landing that's just below like the roof. Like an awning, okay. Kind of, yeah. Okay. Except it's solid concrete. Yeah, yeah. And the camera cuts to his face and he takes off his sunglasses looking surprised, like that she's looking for him as he watches her enter the school. Ooh. So this is like Ghost, the movie, where Whoopi Goldberg can see ghosts and is very surprised that the ghosts can like talk to her and everything. Yes. Excellent. Just like Ghost. (laughs) And Demi Moore shows up with Patrick Swayze, movie of the year. (laughs) Yes, that happens in about 10 minutes. Oh, I knew the pottery classes of the school were going to pay off. (laughs) Meanwhile, in biology, (laughs) the teacher is discussing how eggs work. And you cut to his car out front, the nice blue convertible, as an egg drops on it. And then dozens rain from the sky, covering the car. Oh, who could have foreseen such an unfortunate occurrence? (laughs) You didn't know it was going to be eggs. (laughs) 
<laughs> sure. I didn't know it was going to be egg. It could have been bologna. Who knows? It could have been, but it's not. And the boy, still hanging out above the entry, looks concerned as he hears maniacal laughter as the eggs drop, and he gets up and runs off in search of the mastermind, heading towards the roof where there are dozens of egg cartons empty and scattered about. So a bunch of evidence left on the roof, and somehow it's going to point back at Francis if that summary is any clue. Oh my gosh, it's so stupid. <laughs> I love it when people- <laughs> it makes me mad. <laughs> yeah. They're going to jump on some really like circumstantial, inconclusive evidence and say, yep, that proves it. Absolutely. Perfect. Uh, so back in biology, Francis is talking during class and the bio teacher asks if she has a question, like she's talking to somebody next to her. And Francis asks if his alarm clock went off three hours early. And he's like, uh, yes, how did you know that? And she says she's apparently been taking a statistically accurate sampling of the people affected by the clock issue to see if she could narrow it down to a specific area. Boo! <laughs> like, there's no way she got a statistically significant number of people involved in that study and the time took her to she's walk 14, to school. It's fine. <laughs> I know, it's like one class. I've uh, asked, asked five <laughs> people. That's a statistically significant sample. No, she has like pages. So she gets stuff done, Sam, okay? She's oh, okay. on it. <laughs> I should, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that in the hour or half an hour since she walked to school and then was talking in class, she manages to interview 4,000 people. To be fair, this could be in the afternoon. It's not like there's any timeline on this. That's true. It could have been a whole day passed before she got to this class. Exactly. He asks if he can see her work and she hands it off to him, which is just a list of people and their addresses and stuff. As she hands it off to him, she pauses and the camera goes kind of wonky and you see the plastic skeleton behind her move on its own. This movie loves to have things move on its own. I don't go into detail, but there are several instances of dolls moving on their own. Thank you for not including those because no thank you. <laughs> and then she sees the boy from earlier watching her like he's in the classroom and the teacher follows her gaze, but no one is there. <laughs> and the funny thing is it then cuts and you're like, oh, what? Like it wasn't weird that there was a boy in a classroom and now he's gone. <laughs> also, why is the biology teacher so interested in her list? I mean, I guess I'd be curious too, but like you have a biology class you teach guy. Get back on topic. Talk to her after class. She seems like He's kind of like, he likes her as a student, so he's interested okay. in the stuff that she's talking about, but it is interrupting his egg talk, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Like, You're like, great, let's talk about it later as let's go back to biology. <laughs> right, like this isn't something like super urgent or like, it's interesting, but I wouldn't be like, okay, let's pause the class and all the other students can just sit there and twiddle their thumbs while I talk to you about your statistically accurate <laughs> <know>. survey. <laughs> Exactly. So I assume that's what's happening. And post-class, the teacher comes out of the building and is horrified to find his egg car. Yeah, of course. And all the kids are standing around talking about it and like laughing. And for no discernible reason, he turns around. Francis is standing there like watching, like also clearly surprised by it. And yeah. he pinpoints Francis as the person who must have done it. What? <laughs> like, or must know something about it. So there isn't even any evidence that he seizes on as a flimsy pretext. He just says, oh, Francis, the student I like and who clearly spent all day taking a survey is the one who perpetrated this crime. <laughs> At this time, that's what you know, yes. I, every time I watch this movie, I'm like, why? <laughs> Nonsense. He should be absolutely fired for persecuting this child. Yeah, it's wild, man. <laughs> so the boy watches from a roof in his sunglasses, and he's chilling with a dog who also has sunglasses. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> uh, you've just sold me on this movie, Danielle. Congratulations. The first thing Such you've a said. Good movie. Yeah. You've convinced me. This is the first thing that has convinced me that you are correct. This is the best movie ever on the Disney Channel, at least. <laughs> it's a great movie. So as Francis walks home, people are seeming to just now get their dogs from the roof. Like, I have to assume it's three o'clock and there's like ladders going up and people are trying to get their dogs down. And I was like, they've been up 
there since at least 7 a.m. You have to walk your dogs in the morning. They have to do their business. Like, you're not going to leave your dog up there. It's going to make a mess on your roof at the very least. <laughs> like, did these people go to work at 6 in the morning and their dog got put up on the roof after they left? And then they're now just getting home at 3 for no reason whatsoever? <laughs> Nonsense. I mean, no. <laughs> the timeline does not make sense. So we learned from her friend, because they're like walking home together, that apparently her older brother, Bert, Albert, by the way. <laughs> Is it Einstein? I assume that's yeah. got to be the reference yeah. because she's Sir Francis Bacon. So he's Albert, donated bone marrow like a couple of years ago. The timeline's a little fuzzy. Donated bone marrow to his little brother, who's named Darwin. Of course. When Ugh. he was young. So. Saving his life. Her older brother, who's presumably an adult. No. He's like 17, I think. He's about to go to college. He's one more year before he goes okay. to college. So he's like 17. And several years ago, he donated bone marrow to his younger it's, brother. So this, it's... Like, when you're watching the movie, it kind of seems like it was a while ago because Darwin's in remission and he's doing great. So it seems like some time has passed, but they also talk about it like it wasn't super long ago. Okay, so... Timeline. It's like a very odd right. timeline when you... Because I don't know, like, how young is too young to donate bone marrow. Like, that's something I'm unfamiliar with. But it seems like, you know, 13 is probably... It feels young. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if a little kid could do it if parents consented, like little, little kid. I don't know. Yeah. All right. I just don't know if they have enough bone marrow to, to go around or not. I don't know how that works. No, I don't know how it works. <laughs> so her little brother has leukemia? Had, yeah, leukemia. Okay. And he is now in remission Yay. and doing well, and they, they expect full recovery. Yay. Good um, news. And he's younger. He's maybe seven or eight, Got it. probably. And she is 14 and then her brother's 17-ish. Okay. Take. And that's, so you have Darwin, Francis, and Albert. Albert, yep. All right. Okay. Boy, that father really is a big old nerd. And that's coming from me. <laughs> and the mom is too. She's a cultural anthropologist, if I recall correctly. All right. Well, you know, I'm glad to keep it in the family. That seems like a really <laughs> great way to be. Like, I'm happy for them. <laughs> so you get this little breakdown of stuff and then... Francis kind of scoffs at the conversation and she insists that the doctor saved Darwin's life, not Bert. I mean, he helped. <laughs> we'll get into it a little bit about why she feels that way. So Joe walks off and the boy approaches her from across the street, the magical boy from earlier. The fae trickster. I don't care what you say. He's a fae trickster. <laughs> the fae trickster. Francis is surprised to see him again and asks if he's following her. And the boy looks behind him as if he's surprised that she's even talking to him. Like, what the heck? And there's nobody behind him. He Obviously, hasn't figured they're on it out yet. Street. Like, he has plenty of evidence she can see him. <laughs> I know. Francis confirms, like, yeah, I'm talking to you, buddy. And he takes his sunglasses off in shock. And he's like, you can see me? And Francis is like, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, she's kind of like, she's a little giggly about it. Like, oh, this cute boy is following me. I'm like, he's a stalker. <laughs> uh, also, quick question. What kind of sunglasses? Are these like aviators? Or are they like Ray-Bans? No. I think he has a couple different sunglasses. Oh, I feel even like better. Maybe, Great. <laughs> I feel like in this scene, they're just kind of like, they might even be like the yellow tinted ones. He's got a couple of odd ones. All right, fine. His outfit to... changes periodically. All right. I wanted to get a sense for like, you know, what this guy was trying to convey with his cool sunglasses. I think in this particular instance, they're just like plastic, uh, maybe yellow tinted sunglasses. Earlier, the dog was wearing, I think, little like Lennon-esque sunglasses, little circular ones. <laughs> See, this is, I need those details, Danielle. Thank you. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I should have paid more attention to the sunglasses throughout this The dog wearing sunglasses, what sunglasses he's wearing is very important. <laughs> it's very cute. Francis is surprised. Oh, I already said that. <laughs> uh, so Francis is like, yeah, I can see you. And then a school bus drives by the road blocking her view. And, and the kid disappears. It, yeah, he disappears. Yeah, yeah okay, <laughs> I've seen movies before. <laughs> 
that works. <laughs> the only person who was surprised was Francis. <laughs> <laughs> so again, Francis's voiceover comes on screen or doesn't come on screen, but vocally comes, comes over on the screen speakers or whatever. Let's us know that weird stuff was happening all over town that day. Someone put gelatin in the school swimming pool. And you see a girl dive in and get stuck upside down in red jello, which is funny. But also, she died, and how did she not notice there was jello? Right, well, that was my first question is how would you like climb up to a diving board, look down to the pool, and plan your dive and not notice that it was jello? Also, <laughs> wild. Way more important is you have to cook jello. Like you have to heat it up to get it to congeal. And just throwing jello powder in cold water doesn't make jello. And how much jello would you need to make a pool gelatin? <laughs> you need a lot. Let's assume that the trickster demon guy can get all the jello he wants from the local grocery store, can steal it all. Sure. My point is, how do you get the pool to boil? For long enough to cook the jello to the point where it actually congeals. You have to set it in the refrigerator. Like, this is a process. <laughs> it's like, it's such a, it's such a funny prank. And her feet are like hanging like up in the air and they're kicking. And the, the coach is like, uh, hang on. And it's like getting the little, uh, the scooper thing. Life, yeah, like, no, the life jacket, like the life, the life ring saver thing. Yeah. yeah that's like, like a new thing. <laughs> It's like the funniest scene because you're like, what the heck? She's dead. 100% she's dead. She's like in the water. She's in the door like, help. You're like, you can't talk. Jello is filling your lungs. Nope. That that girl has been murdered. I, I still don't think it'd be possible to make Jello in a pool without – that's only possible. I think the process is, is not there. It's just impossible, right? And then apparently a colony of bees took over the principal's office. School buses are filled with water. Like you see the door open and water just gushes out. Oh, no. Graffiti's nope. all over. Nope, nope, nope. Well, you know. <laughs> cars are not watertight and school buses know. certainly not. <laughs> I know. And then there's graffiti all over town. There's like giant bees, bees, like the letter B all over, written all over the town. Okay. So there are bees in the principal's office, a pool full of jello, apparently hermetically sealed buses full of water, <laughs> and graffitied letter Bs all over the town. Absolutely. And Frances will day. somehow get blamed for all of this because her name starts with B. It's impressive. <laughs> and not even like her name, it's her middle name. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like I'm saying that's my but that's the point I'm making. Like, oh yeah, clearly Frances starts with the B, so she will be the one for beating bees everywhere. <laughs> It's hilarious. So nobody knew who was responsible, says the voiceover, but they wanted to blame somebody. Oh, that's human. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> I believe that too. Cut to the next morning. They're arguing over breakfast that, like, the parents are arguing over breakfast that teenagers must be involved in all the trouble because just culturally, that's the cultural anthropologist, like, teenagers are the most likely candidates for pranks like this. I mean, that seems more socially. <laughs> well, that's what they're talking about. All right. And in the middle of this conversation, the dad stops them. He's angry because he can't find the gelatin that was in his cabinet and he wanted to make his jello dinner for dessert that night jello dessert dinner yeah he well like for dessert i okay. imagine so okay the the prankster god whatever stole the jello from people's homes rather than in bulk from a grocery store <laughs> or at least stole it from francis's home who knows <laughs> That seems wildly inefficient. Maybe he's like Santa. <laughs> can go around all, you know, all the homes in one night or something. Maybe. So Francis says, like, to the room at large, that if it's not in the cabinets or misplaced, then someone must have taken it out. It's the only logical conclusion. She needs to stop saying that phrase. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and the whole family turns to look at her. Like, 
Like it was her fault, like very suspiciously. <laughs> Why is that what suspicious? Like, what has Frances done ever in her life? I know, to I don't know. <laughs> earn the collective suspicion of this entire town. Like, be the <laughs> instant scapegoat for any time something goes wrong. Like, she her doesn't have a track record of being a bad this. kid or something, right? <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, she's like she's like super mature for her age. She's you know skipped a grade. She's very reliable. <laughs> like, then yeah. I'm not going to say I was a great teenager. That was fine. But I, I wasn't, I'm not saying as mature as Francis was at this age. But even then, I don't think people would be like, oh, yeah, it was definitely his fault that the, all these randomly, seemingly disconnected things are happening. I do not disagree with that at all. Crazy. <laughs> so she gets to school. And as she like walks up to the quad, she realizes that everybody's frozen. They're just standing there, which immediately stops as soon as the bell rings. Everybody starts moving. They go into the building like nothing ever happened. You know what it was, Danielle? The Shrike was there murdering in stop time. Yes, it must have been. <laughs> Stupid time wars, time tomb tunnels. <laughs> <laughs> you can't escape them, Danielle. They're in your Disney movies. <laughs> so on the roof of the building, you see monster hands drum their fingers against the edifice as it watches. And inside the building, bees are spray painted all over the locker. The letter B, just <laughs> to be clear. That's cool. I would prefer like graffitied insect bees, like cute little bumblebees all over the place. Yes. Unfortunately, that would have been more clever. However, they're just the letter B's all over the lockers except for hers. And everybody apparently knows her and turns to look and is like whispering about her. All right. This strikes me less as evidence that she's the one who did it, because no one who isn't a moron would leave that big an evidence that it was their doing, and more like she's being targeted by a stalker. Right. Like, I would be way more worried than any of the adults in this film are. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, somebody clearly is targeting you, and that is, your safety is in, in question here. Yeah. To her credit, she's clearly, like, really embarrassed by this, and she's like... Obviously, I didn't do this. Grow up. Just because they skip, just because this person skipped my locker, doesn't mean I'm the person who does who did this. Yeah. And when she opens it, there's a bee spray painted inside, which seems to somehow prove something to the crowd. They're like, "Oh, she did it!" I'm like, it's actually scarier that there's a bee inside of her locker. Because uh, also. Uh, school lockers are notoriously not secure, so I'm sure, like, oh, only she could open it. No, obviously someone could open it. And why would she spray paint it be inside her own locker, but outside of everybody else's locker? Right. Like, again, as you said, I would assume maybe some kind of stalker, like, they're pointing her out for some reason. Yeah, this is not her deal. Like, anyone who commits a crime like this does not want to single themselves out for suspicion by being the most obvious person. Yeah, they would put a bee on their own locker. It's just the dumbest. It's uh, Maybe it's 13, 14, 15-year-old logic. <laughs> sure. But all the adults get it that on <laughs> what I'm more upset about. Like, children are, you know, monsters. But the adults should be better than that. Yeah, crazy. So in the lunch line later, she sees the boy uh, again across the lunchroom. And he's in a suit. A very fancy suit. And like a three-piece suit? His clothes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, a almost tuxedo-esque. Ooh. He's, like, going to ask her out. And he's like, hey, you're in a fancy suit. Let's just get this going. <laughs> so she starts over at him because she's sure he has something to do with all of this, which, you know, understandably. <laughs> and she asks him if he's going to run away again, like he did with the school bus. And he tells her, he's like, I didn't really run away. I just needed some space to evaluate the situation since I didn't know you could see me. <laughs> Does this the kind of movie where all the children talk like adults trying to sound smart? No, they just kind of talk normally, okay. kids, except for Francis. So she's confused, wondering why she wouldn't be able to see him, which, you know, good question. Yep. 
And he, ex- he explains that nobody else can see him. And then to prove it, since so she's very disbelieving of this fact, he dances in front of someone, like as they're walking by with their lunch tray, and he steals something off their plate. And the person obviously does not react at all. And he, they're having this whole conversation. I need you to set the set scene for this. Okay, they're in the cafeteria. It's yeah. filled with kids. They're having this con- – she's just standing there talking to this guy who theoretically nobody can see. So she's just talking to herself. And, and she's reacts. the talk of the town. She's the talk of the town. The entire – like earlier, the entire school was talking about her and nobody's even watching her now in this room, which is just insane. Yeah, no. She's just like talking to nothing and everyone's like, oh, that Francis being weird. <laughs> They don't even glance at her. They don't even seem to notice that she's having a full conversation with no one. (laughs) So she asks him his name and he tells her that it's Larry Houdini. Okay. Uh, You you couldn't see it, Danielle, but I physically wilted when you said that. (laughs) Well, it kind of makes sense in the context, but we we haven't gotten the context yet, so we'll get there. Is it like Houdini's brother who died during a magic trick? <laughs> no. <laughs> so it's Larry Houdini, and she even says, like, to him, like, that's a stupid name. And he's like, oh, okay. well, at least, I, at least it's better than being named after Sir Francis Bacon. <laughs> Thank you. I was going to say the same thing. You have no place to talk here, Francis. Sit down. <laughs> and she, you know, kind of was like, okay, fine. And then he does some dance moves on the table and tells her he's an imaginary friend, Sam. What? <laughs> What this movie? This movie's wild. So this is like Drop Dead Fred all of a sudden or something. It's so good. He's like, I'm an imaginary friend, and she's like, I don't have an imaginary friend. And Larry's like, I never said I was your imaginary friend. Okay, okay. (laughs) If I had an imaginary friend, Danielle, I don't think I'd imagine this kid. is amazing though if you saw him you would imagine this kid he's great all right well maybe there's something i'm missing <laughs> and he's here. not a kid i should clarify he's like 16 maybe like he's a teenager her age oh, oh i thought she was like 13 she's 14 okay i think he's a couple years older i would guess okay so she asks if he's not her friend then why is he following her around and he's like you must be imagining that <laughs> just some circular logic and he tells <laughs> her that he assumes she can see him because he's there to help her with this problem that she's clearly having why what i don't know that's just what he says okay he says he felt that he needed to be there and so he is <laughs> It's going to be one of those kind of movies, is it? Kind of. She, okay. He's like, I'm here to help you. And she's like, I'm not the one doing all these pranks. And he's like, oh yeah, I know that. I know who it is. It's the boogeyman. The boogeyman. Boogeyman, Sam. I got it. All right. So (laughs) Tornail Dude's the boogeyman. Quite possibly. Francis is understandably not on board with that. And Larry tells her he thinks the boogeyman has it in for her. And she's being framed, Sam. Why her? We'll get into it. Okay, and there's all just a reason. So it's like, oh, she smells weird. No, there's a reason. This movie does its best to explain absolutely anything you can think of, which, you know, better or worse, is that, an interesting choice. It is, it is a dangerous choice to over, like, there's a fine line between offering reasonable explanations and, like, over explaining things to the point of being nonsense again, like making a full circle. Yeah, there's a couple of moments where it's like, that's nonsense. And then a couple of moments where you're like, sure, I'll buy into this, this concept of the boogeyman. Great. Love it. But it's it's kind of a cool story. So this is apparently too much for Frances, but she decides that her best course of action is to step onto one of the tables in the lunchroom and ask everybody if anybody knows who the imaginary guy is. <laughs> he already established they can't see, see him. him. Right. It's like she can't understand it. And you would think somebody who supposedly is all about facts and being 
proven correct things. She's like, "Is any who knows this guy? Who is he?" And they all laugh at her because nobody is there. Right. Like <laughs> I, I would admit that a person who is invisible to the world would be hard to wrap your head around initially. But I also, I don't think my first reaction would be after he demonstrates that others clearly cannot see him to then make a spectacle of myself. Absolutely. That she does. And she's uh, instantaneously called to the principal's office. Not actually related. It's just timing. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, like, that's a pretty severe reaction. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, Sam, she's under suspicion for the pranks. Would you like to know why? <laughs> okay. Let me take a guess. Um, biology teacher doesn't like her. Uh, kind of. I mean, he's definitely the, the person who brought this to the principal's attention. Uh, she seems to not react to them as like the other students do. No. She's too smart. So, no, they don't get into any of this. Apparently, she's under suspicion for these pranks, partly because her name has a B in it, which, dumb. Yeah, dumb. <laughs> Many names have Bs in them. But also, the biology teacher thinks that the list of students, which she told him about and then willingly handed over, is something that she'd been compiling. Like a target specifically, list. Specifically, like a, no, not a target list, like that she ha is the ringleader of a gang of people who all like pranked with the, all set their clocks back, like she was the mastermind behind the prank. So his his logical conclusion is that this immense list of addresses was used like as were the contacts of her crew. Yes. <laughs> like she got the whole school on board. Like she oceaned eleven this and yes. like got everyone together and was like, yeah, this is my crew. We're all gonna set clocks forward three hours. It's a big old prank. I need to get, you know, 80, 90, 100 people on board with this. No. And then I'm going to talk about it during your biology class. And when you ask me, what am I talking about? I'm going to willingly tell you that I was making this list of people and hand it off, even though I could just say no. Also, I don't have anything to add to this conversation. All you have to do is ask literally any of those people, hey, what was Francis talking to you about? And they say, oh, about how weird it was the clock were set forward. And like, yeah, no. I put my name down on our list. <laughs> like, it's like, it's just wild, but also it would kind of be a great prank if you could get like an entire school on board. To oh, and that'd be a great hours. like senior prank. It would be so impossible good. to coordinate because that many people involved, <laughs> someone would screw it up. There was someone would crack. It would never work. No, it wouldn't. But it was. It's just. I love the idea that the reason why she did this is because she had a list of students and uh, bacon is her middle name. Yeah, but none of that is like motive. No, it's wild. It's so stupid. So her parents aren't even present for this conversation. They literally pull her in. It's the guidance counselor, the principal, the biology teacher. She should demand a lawyer. Yeah, it's just crazy. And they ask her if she isn't involved, then does she have any insight? Which, why would she? But she gives them Larry Houdini's name. No. <laughs> Francis. <laughs> She's so stupid. <laughs> for some kid who's supposed to be like, oh, I skipped a Gory and I'm so logical. No, you are digging your own grave here with She tells Larry adults Houdini. constantly about this. She's like, Larry Houdini, boogeyman. And you're like, stop talking. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Like, I know that we complain when movies or stories like say, oh, yeah, you could just resolve this conflict by telling them the simple truth instead of like this dancing not, around the not issue. the case of but that. <laughs> this is like the exception where telling people that's so much clearly fantastical is only get you more in trouble. Yeah. So it's, the minute she says his name, he slides into the room with a hockey jersey on and like either rollerblades or ice skates. I'm not sure, but he's like <laughs> skating across the floor and she points him out. He's like, there he is. And he, she runs off after him because he go, takes off down the hall and... Uh, for someone so rational. As I said, she's super not smart. <laughs> 
So the teachers finally catch up in the music room and she's like, he's right there. And he's like dancing on top of the piano or something like he's doing something crazy, but they can't see him. Yeah, of course and not. She, she thinks they're all pretending somehow, like that they're messing with her. Why is and everyone in this movie capable of these ridiculous leaps in logic that go to the completely wrong know. conclusion? <laughs> And then he keeps like disappearing. Like she'll look back and he's not there. And then she's like, where did he go? And then he'll reappear in the hall and they'll reappear here, reappear here. And she assumes suddenly that she's having some kind of mental breakdown and she ends up going home with her mom. And the staff is like, okay, clearly she's having some issues. <laughs> yeah. Like I would, I would be more inclined to think I was suffering like hallucinations than screaming at everyone. Hey, can you see this magic boy? Yeah. That's what, what her. Uh, eventual thing is she's like oh my gosh i must be imagining this so francis is home she's in her room and she's trying to figure out kind of what's going on and she's mumbling to herself that it must be mass hypnosis that that's the only possible explanation (laughs) no no francis i know you're a kid but i thought better of you (laughs) and our little brother comes in darwin he interrupts and he asks her if she's just out of the blue. He's like, are you sure there's not a boogeyman? Some of the kids at the park said that there was. And she tells him that someone older than them should have told them that the boogeyman doesn't exist because no, there's no boogeyman. And he says that an older kid did tell them that it existed. And his name was Larry and he was playing basketball in the park, but he couldn't see them, but everybody else could. He was playing what? Basketball oh. in the park. So her, her whole family now can see the imaginary child? No, Darwin could not see him. Oh, but then how did he... So he w- he was at the park, uh-huh. and some other kids told him that, like an older kid... Named Larry. ...told them that there was a boogie... The name Larry was that there was a boogeyman. So and other kids are seeing see Larry then. then. Yeah, little kids can see Larry. So why is... I'm getting confused as to why Larry is surprised someone can see him if other people can see him. Like, that's a normal occurrence. We'll get into that in just a moment, actually. Okay, great. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So Frances heads to the park because she's like, okay, got to find this kid again. And Sky, where she sees Larry, he's in a karate rope with a black belt. Not, I doubt he's a black belt, but you never know. And, and he's playing, I said he's playing basketball. In a gi. And she asks, yeah, he is. <laughs> I know, it's great. <laughs> And she asks him if he's hypnotizing people, which no, no, Wait, he's not. What? Yeah, this, <laughs> like this random like teenager the- can do mass <laughs> hypnosis on a whole town. Like, yeah, well, okay. He can disappear and reappear at will. And she asks if he's not real, why can the kids see him? So you're way ahead of the game, Sam. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. See, Francis, that's the right logic conclusion. <laughs> Shouting on top of tables in the cafeteria, wrong logical conclusion. Well, you're going to hate the answer, though, because he says that they were little kids, and obviously little kids can see anything that they want. And this ties into this conversation we had a couple episodes ago where I said kids are notoriously well-known for, like, seeing ghosts and, and seeing beyond yeah. the spiritual realm when adults supposedly can't and this is totally buying into that premise that little kids see stuff <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm like i'm not saying little kids don't have like active imaginations i'm just not saying they actually see anything but that's in a movie right. sure I, i'll buy it yep. yeah so he's saying basically like their imaginations are much more open so they can absolutely see him but adults can't and he runs off to play on the monkey bars and she follows behind him and she tells him he needs to tell her parents and the principal because everybody thinks that they she's can't some see kind of him that's what he says he's like they can't see me i just explained to you how this works francis (laughs) franny bubula come on so i like out of the blue they're they're kind of arguing about this and larry asks her suddenly if she has a library card and she's like yes 
and so they head to the library. Cutscene. They're in the library. <laughs> sure. Let's go to the library. I mean, libraries are great. I love libraries. <laughs> it is. And he's in the children's section. He's digging around, like looking through the books, and Peter Pan is being read to the kids on a little TV. And it's this, the famous Peter Pan scene about believing and clapping your hands and Tinkerbell. You mean Tinkerbell would be, yeah, okay. Yeah. And a slip, um, he slips on some sunglasses, which she wasn't wearing at the time, because he complains that it's too bright in the library. And she's like, what are you talking about? And he pulls out an old leather-bound book called the Livre de Boogie. <laughs> the Livre de Boogie. Is that, the, is that uh, Spanish for a uh, boogeyman book? In It's French, but French. that's okay. Okay. French for boogie. boogie. I mean, I'll be honest. Is that? I mean, I don't know if boogie is a word in French or not, but it sounds made up. <laughs> she checks the book out and takes it home. And he is like the one that's reading this book. So he tells her that according to the book, the boogeyman comes from under your bed. And she's like, nothing lives under my bed. That's insane. And he asks her if she's looked lately. And she's like, well, no, <laughs> I guess I haven't. <laughs> I mean, don't you look under your bed regularly, Danielle? I do, actually, because I get scorpions. So I do actually <laughs> look under my bed every night before I go to bed. <laughs> All right, Danielle, you're really you're really screwing up the premise we have to do here, the shtick of like setting up something that's obvious, and then you have this actual explanation, which breaks the whole joke down. So thank you. I'm sorry if I do look under my bed, but I imagine if it's like a magical world, it wouldn't always show, right? So I'm willing to believe that sometimes there's a boogeyman under your bed. Or maybe those scorpions come from the boogieverse. And that would not surprise me. Scorpions are sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> so... He disappears, and she goes up to her room. She makes it home. She goes up to her room, and creepy music is playing as she slowly lifts up her covers to check out under her bed. But boo! Larry appears on top of her bed in a genie outfit. <laughs> when you say genie outfit, do you mean like, I dream of genie outfit, or like, just like, uh, harem pants and a vest? I would say like, harem pants, a vest, and then he's got the big hat on him. The fez? It's not really a fez. I don't know what they're called, Sam. All I right. don't even know how to describe them. Perfect. Well, they're like a big circular genie hat. Oh, like the big poofy ones to have like the yeah, the big poofy with hats. a cylinder in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. Go. Okay, we got there, Danielle. Teamwork. <laughs> and he tells her that the boogeyman isn't there right now because I don't know daylight. I don't know what the rules are. <laughs> there are no rules for the boogeyman. <laughs> But the book, he's still reading the book, it says there's a thing called a temporalfuge, possibly a temptrafuge. It depends on on my uh, captions. It said temporalfuge, like time fuge, <laughs> which makes more sense in the context. But in an article I read, it said temptrafuge, which I thought was incorrect. An article? Like you read, there's an article about this movie you read? Yeah. Uh, there's, an, there's a couple of articles because it had, I think it's like 20th anniversary or oh, whatever. Okay. I didn't and know they if talked like... about the historical, like, Context like of a this. Uh, journal, like the science behind. Don't look no. under the bed. <laughs> this specifically about this movie, and then I watched an interview with the director, and I'll talk about that a little bit because it's it's relevant to the end. But um, I'm pretty sure it's temporal fuge, like time fuge. <laughs> and apparently, this this device can make him harmless, the boogeyman. And there are fold out instructions. Isn't that convenient? <laughs> so wait, the temporal fuge is a device. Yes, a device they have to make. And if they make it, then supposedly it can help them, like, defeat the boogeyman. It makes them harmless. So it's a magical MacGuffin that beats the evil dude. Absolutely. Got it. Okay. I'm on board. I get it. 
As they're talking, Darwin walks in to ask if something he found is hers. And Larry jumps up from his bed in excitement. And he's trying to get Darwin's attention because apparently he knows Darwin. But the kid can't see him. And Larry follows him out of the room, clearly upset. Can't you just talk through Francis? Yes, we're going to get there in a second. Okay. So he yells after him to make sure he pulls his cover up over his head so the boogeyman can't get him because it says in the book that that helps. Oh, yes. The magical properties of blankets (laughs) and covers. And so he's like running after him, but again, Darwin's just going down the stairs. He doesn't doesn't notice Larry at all. And Larry comes back all dejected to the room and Francis asks him if he was Darwin's imaginary friend. Like if that was because he said he wasn't hers. And Larry explains that he didn't know it was her brother that was his friend. Um, And he doesn't understand why Darwin suddenly can't remember him anymore. So basically, Darwin imagined this imaginary friend, cool dude with a cool dog with sunglasses. Great, Mm -hmm. great choice. And then he grew up and forgot about him, but the imaginary friend still exists? Yeah, we get into it. We learn a lot about imaginary friends in this movie. It's one of the reasons I like this movie is because the mythos is actually kind of interesting. (laughs) Are you familiar with the TV show Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends? Uh, Yes, vaguely. I mean, I know the concept. Yeah, so this sounds like it's that. Yeah, kind (laughs) of. Great. All right. So he lays down on her bed. He's all sad. And Francis is like, well, you know, like a long time ago, I told him how childish it was to believe in imaginary friends. Your fault. Imaginary friends. (laughs) So Larry raises his head and his eyes are like glowing purple and green. He's clearly so angry. And he hisses. He's like, you did it. You're the reason he can't see me. You told him to stop believing in me. And Francis is freaked out by this, understandably. And she's like, what's wrong with your eyes? And Larry rubs them. He's like, nothing. And I'm sure it's just allergies. Uh And they clear up as they're talking, but he yells at her that she must- allergies. She must just know everything. And that's why she told him to stop believing. Isn't she just the smartest that she shows some little kid that she knows more than he does. And Francis starts to cry and she tells him, she's like, no, that's not why I did that. I did it because Darwin needed to believe in like real things and doctors and and stuff that would, you know, actually cure him, not just imaginary things that were going to actually help him in real life. I mean, that was how he was going to be safe. That's not unreasonable like you know being able to tell the difference between reality and fantasy is essential to surviving in our world exactly and so she's like i just wanted like i knew if he grew up and faced reality and believed in these real things that it would help him like i felt like it would help him and that's why i told him to do that and larry asks her if she wanted to help so much why she didn't donate her bone marrow and she's like well i wanted to but the doctor said only bert could it wasn't a match. That's not how bone right, marrow works. And Larry says that must have been a relief knowing that she was safe, that she didn't have to make that decision. And Francis denies this. And Larry is like, don't pretend with me. I know all about pretending. And he storms off. Wow. Uh, Larry's a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. But he also just found out that his like best little kid friend can no longer see him. <laughs> yeah, okay. Like, I, think I think he's speaking in anger. Yeah, but like that doesn't excuse like, oh, you are so relieved you couldn't help save your brother's life. Like, that's a I'd also jerk thing to say. To Disney, this Disney movie, that's a big topic, right? right? Like, I mean, I was about to say, <laughs> that's <amazing>. heavy. <laughs> this is why I want this movie so good. It has some, like, really heavy themes in it, and it just gets progressively, like, kind of deeper in its, okay. its concepts. I like it. So that night, Larry's in Darwin's room. He's dressed as a cowboy, and he's checking in on him <laughs> to keep him safe from the boogeyman. He goes with the spurs. He's like, chink, chink, chink across Great. the floor. Love so it. Cute. Love it. 
Okay, also question. Why mm-hmm. would a little kid imagine, like, a teenager as his imaginary friend? It's I, like, I don't know the answer to this. I feel like you'd probably imagine somebody around your own age, yeah. but apparently, apparently no. <laughs> that seems to me very concerning. Maybe he wanted somebody who could protect him, and maybe he felt like an older person would be better at that. I don't okay, know. Okay, maybe. That's my two cents. I don't I don't know the answer to that. So, meanwhile, Frances, Frances is asleep, and her room has purple-pink fog out from under the bed and it kind of crawls out through the open window while evil laughter follows after it. And Larry hears a noise and he rushes into Frances's room, waking her up to tell her that the boogeyman is on the roof and his eyes are kind of weird again. You can see they're kind of like a yellow green. Uh Uh-huh. Yellow green eyes. Sure. I know. Suspicious. So she runs outside, but she doesn't see anything except there are Christmas lights all over her house. And it's like spring, <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> so the boogeyman decided his latest prank would be helping them get ready and do the difficult <laughs> chore of decorating Christmas lights. Like, no, someone should care that. I can only great. assume that's what's happening in this moment until we find out otherwise. <laughs> yeah, and Mom, and so, thank you, Mister Boogeyman. That is a chore I, d- I do not like. She seems completely unconcerned about this too. She's like, "Oh, there's Christmas lights, but I don't see a boogeyman. I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> Fair. Yeah, but Larry's like, I'm gonna go check this out. And he crawls up to the roof and he creeps along. You can see that you can see like so far the boogeyman's only been shown in like his claws and his feet. Like you just see little bits of him and you can see his hands and his legs and he's like stringing Christmas lights for whatever reason. And Larry's creeping towards them and he makes a noise and the boogeyman looks up and sees him. And you finally <gasps> see the face know? of the boogeyman. And so the boogeyman seems to be dressed in 18th century like royal clothing. Well, did he have like a poofy collar and everything? <laughs> yeah. And okay. he's got like the, the cravat or whatever. And he is a cross between like the vampire Lestat from Interview with the Vampire and Billy the zombie from Hocus Pocus, I would say. Danielle. <laughs> those two things. <laughs> I'm so glad you put those two things together. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like he's he's kind of dignified like Lestat, but he's definitely got like the zombie-esque like crazy hair and just a little zombie-esque in his skin. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> And he uses his, apparently, telekinesis powers to wrap the lights around Larry and then hangs him upside down from the rooftop. So- Is he upside down? I don't think he's upside down. I think he's just hanging from the rooftop. I would have a question about this. Yes. Larry's imaginary. Can he interact with the physical world? Man, I have so many questions about this scene in particular, but yes, he can interact with the physical world. Second, if someone else were to observe- this from the outside. Would they see Christmas lights seemingly wrapped around a column of air? I would imagine so, because they can definitely see the Christmas lights, but not everybody can see the imaginary friend or the boogeyman. The Larry Houdini, right. So Yeah, she can't see the boogeyman. She can only see Larry at this point. So she's like looking up there. She does not see the boogeyman, but she sees Larry hanging. Yeah, I just think that'd be extremely suspicious if like, oh, those lights seem to be hovering in midair. Yeah, well, that's probably what they are, but they're the only ones out there. So it really doesn't matter. And for reasons, the boogeyman speaks mostly in rhyming couplets (laughs) with a vaguely British accent. And I'm going to give you some of the couplets because I feel like you need a good sense no, of I wanna hear this. I want to hear Boogeyman poetry. <laughs> it's a, his first line. It's nice of you to hang around, but you'd be safer on the ground. Yeah, lazy. And 
he looks down at him, at, at Larry, and says, oh, eyes are kind of scary. Don't you think so, Larry? I mean, I think the <laughs> rhymes are good, but the meter seems off. It's slightly off. And Larry yells out, asking if Fran can see him, like, do you see him? He's right there. And she's like, I don't see anybody. And he says to Larry, it won't be long until she can see a boogie just like me. I, I still feel like the rhythm just feels really wrong. It should have been a boogeyman just like me. Yeah. Exactly. I, th I think there's a lot about his lines. He pulls out a mirror, like a pocket mirror. I don't know. It's one of the ones that has a little handle. Sure. <laughs> I don't know why he has it on him. A hand mirror. And he looks at... Yeah, he looks at himself when he says it, a boogie, just like me. And he looks adoringly into it. I kind of love him. Is that wrong? <laughs> no. <laughs> Meanwhile, Francis has grabbed a ladder and is like trying to reach Larry to get him down. And the boogeyman says, and you'll see that you boogie too, inside of the mirror. It's you. And he holds the mirror out to Larry, showing him his eyes. And Larry suddenly drops, which I'm not sure why it really matters because he can disappear at will. But okay. He drops to the ground. <laughs> is this going to be a thing where forgotten and discarded imaginary friends become boogeymen in their bitterness? I'm not going to tell you that. Okay, Damn, that's a yes. Find out. <laughs> I, I say that even when it's a no. I don't know why you always just assume it's a yes if I say it. Because you know, I refer to assume I'm correct. <laughs> okay, well, you may be. We'll find out. Not too far down the road here. <laughs> so... He drops, and as he drops, it knocks over the ladder, and Frances screams, waking up her parents. And then the boogeyman, like, kind of cackles, and he's like, look around, and you will see that blackout starts with B, and the power goes out in the entire town, and their the... house lights up with all the Christmas oh, lights. Oh, boogeyman, you can do better than that. <laughs> it's like covering it, the Christmas lights, the entire house. So her parents run out of the house, and Frances obviously cannot explain why she's standing there with a the ladder. <laughs> I was saving this imaginary friend from the boogeyman. <laughs> and the next morning, the news is rife with commentary, and their house is the only one in the city with power, and news reporters are just swarming. So reporters are banging on their door, and the phone keeps ringing, all the mornings in chaos. And at some point, they seem to clear out, because Frances is seen later, like, sitting on her porch alone. And then Larry pops up, and he comes out of the garage... And he's got like this whole setup going in the in the garage space, and she's surprised because I think she thought maybe he died or been injured or something because he kind of he's like, imaginary. She dropped, I know, <laughs> but she's just like surprised to see him, and she's like, "Are you saying that like imaginary people, but being imaginary, you can't die?" And he's like, "Oh." I've, I never asked. Like, I, I don't know the answer to that question. But he says, our friends get old and then forget about us, but we go make new friends and that keeps us young. So to answer your question from earlier, once uh, somebody like stops believing in imaginary friends, they sure. go find a new a new little kid. Right. That makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Recycling. <laughs> yeah. So she asks, like, why don't you get a new friend if Darwin doesn't believe in you anymore? And the tone shifts dramatically and Larry points his finger in her face, telling her that Darwin still needed him. Like, he wasn't supposed to have forgotten about him yet. It wasn't like a natural occurrence. And it's her fault, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I buy that. So she's clearly a little bit guilty, but she changes the topic. She's like, so what are you making in my garage? And he says, oh, I'm making the temporal fuge. And then explains it to her. And I wrote this all down for you, Sam. Oh, perfect. I, thought you'd I can't wait to this hear device. this explanation. <laughs> I'm going to take some notes. Let me get a pen. All right. Uh, no, yeah, all right. Let's hear it. 
Okay, there's a clock. If you spin the clock clockwise at the right RPM, it creates what you call a temporal fugitation impulse. Okay, quick question. Is it just like a wall clock? Uh, Yeah, I think it's just like a, I don't know if they use a wall clock or one of those little mini like grandfather clocks, but something like that. So other question, this wouldn't work with a digital clock then? Uh, I don't think so. I think you have to be able to spin it. Uh, Kids these days are going to be in real trouble then because there are a lot of analog (laughs) clocks left. They don't even have a dial time. So you take the impulse and you amplify it with magnetic fields. And then the speaker, that they have, it's an actual speaker, sends it through the vacuum chamber, which is made with a vacuum. (laughs) So how big is this temporal fuse? Is it like a handheld dust Uh, buster thing or is it like... Okay, later they're using it and it reminds me a lot of the size of the things that they wear in Ghostbusters on their back. Oh, so the proton packs. Very similar, a little bit bigger. And so are they like wheeling around like an upright vacuum cleaner like attached to the back of this backpack? No, it's like attached to the thing that's on his back. Okay, fine. They use a part of the vacuum. I'm sure it's heavy, but they never mentioned that. It looks like it'd be heavy, especially for a child. <laughs> yeah, well, he's like 16 or something, so he can hold it on his back. I meant, I meant Francis, but whatever. She's, you know, a normal sized human being. And she's not carrying it anyway. He does later. So then the impulse goes through the jumper cables, which are attached, and you attach the jumper cables to the boogeyman. And apparently, boogeymen have a very tightly wound biological clock, and that's why they only bother you when you're a little kid. That's why they demand you get babies now! (laughs) So by the time you grow up, they're tired and retired, as he says. And so basically what happens is the machine speeds up their biological clock, and it ages them to retirement, death. (laughs) <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so the temporal fuge is essentially a time acceleration device that accelerates the biological clock of boogeyman to the point where they retire. Absolutely. Or so die, you're stealing or their lives from them. Absolutely. You're like pushing them yes. towards death. Uh-huh. You kill them. Slow, yeah. Kind of slowly. <laughs> well, it's like, like, oh, I just stole 50 years of your life from you. You are now <laughs> like if I only went from like 30 to 80 or whatever. Right, which is why I think it's temporal fuge. It's not temptra fuge. <laughs> I believe that. Also, that's got to violate at least some Geneva Conventions. <laughs> I know. It's crazy, but that's how it works. And she's like, why would the boogeyman bother with me now? Like, what? What? why me? What? Why? why bother- a- anyway, like, what's the goals or the motivations of the boogeyman? Yeah. And he's like, I don't know. It's a great question. And he doesn't seem to answer it or go any further with that and continues with his explanation. So she insists on a demonstration of the device because she doesn't believe it's going to work. And they use the machine on some milk, like a box of milk. It's going to be some yogurt. (laughs) Yeah. But for whatever weird reason, well, it's like obviously aging it and the the thing expands, like the air in it expands and it explodes into the air, covering them in chunky, probably cottage cheese. (laughs) Oh, gross. Yeah. And as he's trying, he like kicks a cloth and he's trying to help her clean up because it's like all over him. He accidentally scratches her and she realizes that his nails have grown long. Like a boogeyman's. Uh Oh, she's like, there's something strange going on with you. He's like, how, which is, I love this part. He's like, how could you possibly know? Have you met other imaginary people? How do you know this is not completely normal for imaginary friends? That's a fair question, actually. (laughs) Well done there, Houdini. I love Larry. And she walks off to take a shower and he's and he you see him in the garage alone, like freaking out about his claws. 
She's like looking at me like, what is going on with my body? So it's not normal. It's not normal. <laughs> they don't have, you know, imaginary friend biology classes that teach them about how they can turn the boogeyman? Apparently not. Oh. So they decide they're going to trap the boogeyman because they think maybe he's going to kind of like go undercover for a while because now the boogeyman knows that they're specifically onto him. Ah, they're onto me. See, I need to <laughs> lie low until the, until the heat dies exactly. down. <laughs> So they decide they're going to make some boogie goo, which is a recipe from the book that attracts boogeymen. Boogie goo sounds revolting and like something that would not attract oh, boogeymen, is. but it's something that would be made from boogeymen or produced by a boogeyman. Like, oh yes, if you stimulate the boogeyman's gland, you get boogie goo, which is highly valued in the making of perfumes like ambergris. <laughs> Okay, well, that's not what it is. It's definitely to attract boogeymen, and it's not made out of boogeymen. They're not carnivorous of themselves, as far as I know. And it's made out of a lot of gross stuff. I actually, I'm skipping an entire scene because it's really gag-inducing, and I just don't want to get into it. them just making the boogie goo out of, like, well, then oh, people like goo here and toenails and stuff. Well, it's just... And then there's a scene where, like, they use the... The parents use the blender after they've made some really gross stuff in it, and they, like, make pudding. They didn't the clean blender, the then, blender? No, and, like... Like, Francis is like, you didn't clean the blender? And he's like, whatever. And then they're eating it. And I just like throw up in my mouth a little bit every time. So That's we're fair. skipping that entire scene. Thank you. Oh, you just told me all about it. <laughs> I didn't go into the details. Trust me, you don't want the details. <laughs> <laughs> It's not important. It's the grossest part of the whole movie. That night, she finds Larry making the boogie goo, but he's also eating it at the same time. And she asks him what's going on with him. Like, his eyes are changing, his nails are growing, and now he's eating boogie goo, which is made for boogeymen. <laughs> like, it's not made for imaginary friends. Yeah, no, like, this seems like it's all pretty obvious what's going on. Yeah. And Larry gets upset and yells. He's like, I'm not turning into a boogeyman. And he storms off. And there's a mess all over the kitchen. They just like pulled pots and pans everywhere. And she you know, follows after Larry. And Darwin happens to come in through the kitchen right after they lay leave. And he walks through and he steps on a little pile of boogie goo without realizing it. It's on the kitchen floor. Oh, no. It's going to attract the boogeyman. He's going to be in danger. Oh, no. Francis races after Larry and finds him on the floor in Darwin's bedroom. He's digging around under the bed, so she can just kind of see his backside lately. And she looks at him in concern, asking him how boogeymen are made, if it's if it's in the book. Like, does the book tell Oh, them? yes. They're made when a mommy boogie and a, and a daddy boogie <laughs> love each other very much. They do the boogie woogie, and you get a boogeyman. <laughs> yes, a boogie that's baby. exactly. That's what he says. And she's like, oh, okay, that's good to know. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, basic boogie biology. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> so Larry doesn't answer, and he continues to dig around under the bed. So she opens the book. This is for the first time. They've had this book a good she hasn't read hours. it yet? No. <laughs> I have problems with this because she's supposed to be the smart one. So she opens the book, and she... She looks through landing on a passage, and she reads out loud. She says, if a child stops believing in their imaginary friend too soon, the imaginary friend may turn into a boogeyman. Yeah. So you were correct. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, movie logic. Got it. <laughs> she realizes that she she's turning him into a boogeyman because she told Darwin to not believe in him. So how long did she tell Darwin that? Like, how long does this That's process take? When you asked about the, the timeline for this, I don't know because okay. it's a little weird. Like, it's established that during his treatments, right, she told him, don't believe in, in imaginary friends. And so, but now he's in remission and he's doing pretty well and he seems like a totally, like, active, regular kid. Mm -hmm. And... He sees Darwin and is like, hey, it's my my kid. 
How come you don't like? How come it you seems don't like it's kind me? of a, like recent. If he's like so yeah, surprised, yeah, like it seems very recent. If he's yeah. surprised that he hasn't like, like, did he lose Darwin for a while? Like, how long has it been? Do imaginary friends fade in and out? I don't know. There's no like that part of the story is never told, so the timeline's a little weird. So I don't know how long it's been, but obviously it couldn't have been too long because if he's just turning into a boogeyman, you know. So it's kind of an odd timeline. Maybe it was only a few months ago, and maybe the kid's doing really well. I don't know. We can only bounce back quickly. So from the side of the bed, Larry holds up a toy car, asking her to give it to Darwin like he pulls it out from under the bed because Darwin's been looking for it everywhere. And Francis suggests he gives it to Darwin himself. Like maybe she could talk to him and Larry. She could, you know, get him to believe in him again, basically. Get Darwin to believe in Larry again. And Larry finally looks up, telling her it's a bit too late for that. And he has giant teeth and purple eyes and claws. And he's Yay! Like more boogeyman oh, for the boogeyman. Yes. I, w- I will be clear that he's like in a half boogie state. He's still Larry, but he's like he's he's the obviously like state. most of the way he there. Hasn't got the rhythm completely yet, but he's getting there. Yeah. He's yeah, he's learning the choreography as we speak. So he lifts also, his head up and <laughs> if he's like sixteen and she uses the temporal fuge on him, he's he's gonna like murder a kid, basically. Right. So he lifts his head up into the air, asking what smells so good. And he sniffs across the floor, telling her he must have spilled some boogie goo and she got it on herself. And she's like, I didn't step in any boogie goo, which I don't know why you would know that or not. Yeah, did you look? And, and they realize suddenly, like together, that it must be Darwin who had come in earlier and she'd sent him off to be in her room. She's like, I need to stay in your room a few minutes. You go. And he's like, okay. So he goes to her room and they're like, oh my God, he must have stepped in. No, Boogeyman's got him. Oh, Darwin, I'm so scared for you. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. So they run into her room and meanwhile, like... While this is all happening, he Darwin's sitting on her on her bed is like feet are a little, you know, swinging back and forth and they don't touch the ground and purple fog slides out from under the bed as Darwin plays with his toys atop of it. And the camera zooms in under the bed and you get like the first person perspective as you follow an arm out as it reaches out and grabs Darwin's leg and pulls. And you assume that he went under the bed. Yay! The adventure oh, under no. the bed. So when they arrive in the room, Darwin's shoes and toys are on the floor and they realize he's been taken. Oh, Oh, no. Oh, Darwin, we knew you were such a fleshed out character. (laughs) Larry tells her he's been taken to the boogie world and goes to get his temporal fuge. And I feel like Francis should have read the book. (laughs) Can I just say, putting the word boogie in front of everything is hilarious. (laughs) That's great, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, boogie world. Boogie goo, boogie world, boogie man. (laughs) Uh, I love it. So this is the point, again, where I thought Francis should have read the book because she's surprised by everything. She's like, there's a book, you world. And I'm like, you have a book. <laughs> it's in the book. Like, You're the smart one. Do your research. It's crazy. So he tells her that she can't go into the boogie world. It should be left to the professionals like himself. Yeah, professional boogeymen. Yeah. And she's like, no way. You don't know how hard it was for me when Darwin was sick and I couldn't like do anything. And I'm not going to let him go now. I can actually do something. And Larry's like, yeah, you told him to stop believing in me. A lot of help you were. And Francis is like, why are you being so mean to me? Because he's a boogeyman. He's a jerk. That's what Larry says. He's like, I'm turning into a boogeyman, okay? <laughs> I love their talks. They're so funny. (laughs) They're exactly what you think in your head. And then Larry says it out loud. (laughs) Larry, you are the real hero. That's great. So Francis decides she's going in and he's like, what happens if I turn into a boogeyman fully while you're in there and you're trapped there forever? Like Darwin might be like, if I turn into a boogeyman, I'm not going to help you get out. (laughs) Like, I won't have the wherewithal. Yeah. And 
she doesn't tell she tells him that she doesn't care what happens to her and he's like but i care what happens to you like don't go down there question and, yes if larry turns into a boogeyman is he gonna lose the cool shades and the cool dog hey where's the dog i miss that dog already but <laughs> it was just one of the many dogs that was on the rooftops. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought it was like his imaginary friend dog. Anyway. I mean, it might be. It could be an imaginary friend dog. But anyway, if he turns into a boogeyman, he's going to start like dressing like Lestat slash zombie person and like lose his cool shades? Uh, you may or may not find out. <laughs> okay. Let's circle back to this conversation at the end. <laughs> we'll put a pin in it. I'll put it on my calendar. We'll come back to it. Perfect. So she tells him that what he said earlier about being afraid to be a donor was true, that she was real, a little relieved that she couldn't be. And he's like, being scared is normal. It's perfectly logical. So I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> yeah, right. So Larry disappears under the bed. And I don't know what the plan was, but Frances is looking at the portal and she decides that she's going to enter. They never did seem to resolve whether or not she was going to follow after him. <laughs> but does she know how to enter the portal or is it just like an open I door? I mean, it's just, a, it's just an open portal door. Like it's just a, it's a purple like How are there not thing? like children disappearing constantly into <laughs> those things if they're just left open willy nilly? I don't think, I don't know. I think they opened the portal or maybe, I don't know. Most people don't crawl under their bed, Sam. Also, uh. We dropped this plot uh, a while ago, but does anything ever happen about her being accused of all the pranks? Like, it's been days. If all the adults are convinced she's the one perpetrating these crimes, has there been no consequences? There's been a couple of things that I sort of skipped over just because they weren't super important. But her parents are like, the dad really wants to talk to her about this situation. Like, there's something going on. We should talk to our daughter. Like, she's a, she's the one that's doing all these. They jump on board very quickly that she must be the one that's like, the jello was missing. The eggs were missing. I'm thinking it was like dozens and dozens of eggs. Two dozen eggs from your house does not yeah. seem that she would... And the gel, the one container of Jello in your cabinet was like, did not make the pool go red Jello. <laughs> like, that's not how it works. <laughs> but the dad wants to talk to her, and the mom is like, we need to give her her space. Obviously, there's something going on. Let's give her a little bit of time. And so, like, there's been very little headway. But she's in. She's not even grounded. She's in like some kind of trouble. <laughs> okay, that's what we're getting. Like, she seems to have a lot of autonomy for someone who's supposed to be in in, in the punishment zone. Well, and like stuff keeps happening. Like, she she'll get interrupted a couple of times. Like, the dad comes in and is like, "I need to talk with you." And then one, actually, I think it's the scene. She's about to go under uh, into the bed and the dad comes in and is like, I need to speak with you about what's going on. And he starts to have the little heart to heart. He's like, tell me the truth. And she's like, well, there's a boogeyman. And she like tells him the little spiel about what's happening. And then happening. he's like, when you're serious, come find me and leave. No, and he's like, I think like, this might be a better conversation for you and your mother to have. <laughs> he leaves. <laughs> she's like, okay, bye. And then she like goes to crawl under the I mean, bed. I guess it's an effective way to get rid of him. So... <laughs> So, yeah, that's kind of where that – I didn't – I skipped over a lot of that, but that's what's going on in the background is – Got it. Yes, there should have been – there should have been more happening, but in the mean – like, her parents are kind of ineffective. So, she decides to go through the portal, and the portal apparently puts her on a cliffside immediately. Sure. Why not? Like, she crawls in, and she's holding onto a cliffside, which seems insane, but okay. Uh, you do you, boogie people. <laughs> Larry, luckily, is at the top, and he helps her up. And the boogie world is a lot like the lost world with toys – um, there's it's very like atmospheric and there's a lot of fog and castles and we see the lost world. Which world are you referring to? Because do you mean like the one with the dinosaurs? Yeah, very similar. Except like Got everything's it. ginormous, but with toys. So like everything's bigger. Like they like they almost like they shrunk. You know. Uh, okay. Okay. And it's everything that's like fallen under a bed. So all the toys. There's like a peanut butter sandwich that's left over. Like there's weird stuff under there. It's kind of fun. Yay! And as they walk through the world, Francis asks if the boogeyman is going to hurt Darwin, and Larry 
Larry's like, I don't think so. I mean, he's clearly after you, not Darwin. And she's like, why? <laughs> but also, why wouldn't he hurt Darwin? Like, freebie. I know. He asks her if she ever had an imaginary friend. And she says, no, no, I didn't. And he's like, well, I don't know why he's after you then. Like, BT. Did she have a repressed memory of imaginary friend? We'll get into it, Sam. Okay. So after a trippy ride on a toy car through what looks to be like a candy land of boogie worlds. Like so it's like the, uh, the boat ride from Willy Wonka. A little bit. She manages to crash the car into a, like an ice skate or a rollerblade or something like inside of it. But it's okay because they crash exactly where Darwin is being kept in a giant sack. How convenient. <laughs> I know. So he's stuck in this giant sack and the evil boogeyman rises slowly and dramatically in the background as she's trying to open the sack, floating towards her with a net. <laughs> a, a net? Like a, a <laughs> your average child catching net. Yes. <laughs> Love He's going to like throw it over and catch her. He has a lot of nets in the end of this movie. <laughs> oh, like I didn't realize we were doing a net movie. <laughs> Larry tries to poorly get her attention. It's like he forgets how to speak suddenly. Like he is kind of, he crashed out of the car and he stands up and he's like, uh, he's like, Francis, Francis. That's all he does. <laughs> I'm like, the, he sees the boogeyman coming for him and he's like, oh no. <laughs> That's weak, man. I know. And instead of doing like anything to tell her that the boogeyman's behind her, he decides to roll a giant toy eyeball that's under the bed and uh, he like bowling balls it into the boogeyman and trips him up. Sure. And this is, I should now clarify, I guess, that Larry is wearing the temporal feud, just like attached to his back, like I said, Ghostbuster style, but it has to be plugged in. And it is all the way back into her bedroom. Except someone unplugs it. Uh, sort of. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> so Larry gets the jump on the boogeyman. And he attaches his jumper cables and turns the machine on. And the boogeyman starts to scream and shake and then suddenly starts to laugh. And you see a shot of the extension cord that has come unplugged from the wall when they were like going around in the car and crash landed and everything that just yeah, it would have to be out a of very them. long cord. <laughs> it apparently it is. I mean, it just goes under the bed. I don't know how long it needs to be to make it through the world. Yeah. <laughs> and the boogeyman laughs maniacally and he's like, it seems your extension cord has become uncurled and now you're powerless in boogie world. <laughs> That's a great ride. Best one yeah, yet. Best couplet. <laughs> Love it. And Frances finally doing anything because she's just standing there watching this happen. She runs up behind the boogeyman while he's monologuing, of course. Yeah. And pushes the giant book that is behind him. There's just like a book lost under the bed. And she pushes it on top of him. And that seems to squish him. I mean, so no one said that you couldn't crush a boogeyman to death. <laughs> I would love if that was the end of the boogeyman. <laughs> like, very undramatically, he dies. <laughs> like, this is a thing that I think is hilarious about, like, say, you know, mystical creature vulnerabilities, like, like, uh, werewolves. Like, oh, you shot the thing with a silver bullet and it died. It must be a werewolf. Well, you shot most people with a silver bullet. Like, <laughs> the fact that it's made of silver is incidental to the fact that you shot it. Yeah, it could be anything. <laughs> right. And like, oh, you burned a werewolf to death. That killed it. Like, why am I surprised by this? Like, burning most things kills them. Like, this is starting to be really funny if, like, oh, the temporal fusion things will kill. Boogeyman, but you can also just like kill them in normal ways because they're just, you know, physical creatures. And it's Which just apparently like, you can. Yeah, you throw it's a book just on the them, extra way to do it. It's like the complicated <laughs> way to do it. It's like a little uh, asterisk next to the temporal fuge. And then it says in the footnotes, also can be killed by, you know, shooting, maiming, cutting Burning, off their heads, squishing them. <laughs> like, 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 in all the ways that humans can also die. Right. They, they can be killed by any other mean that most things. Also, this device is an overly complicated <laughs> way if you want to really just have fun with it. And 
And so he squished. She's like, great, I got him. And she runs back to her brother, still trying to get him out of the sack, which apparently is just impossible to open. Sacks, man. It's a huge sack. I mean, it's got to be like eight feet big. And it's just wrapped around him in like a top knot. <laughs> she's trying to pull out. And as she's un- trying to untie the knot, a hand creeps over her shoulder with long fingernails. <gasps> it's, it's Larry! Larry! Oh no, he's finally turned, Sam! I am so shocked by this sudden change of fate for Larry becoming a boogeyman in Boogie World. Yeah, and you can tell, one, because his makeup is spectacular, but also his clothes are now Victorian. Ah, uh, yes, <laughs> I, I knew it. <laughs> I want to hear Larry rhyming. <laughs> he doesn't rhyme, which is weird. I what? thought that's just like a prerequisite for Boogie no, World. <laughs> I am. He does a few rhymes, but not like everything he says. I am livid. I want Larry... <laughs> No, I mean, I could kind of love if this other boogeyman was just like a boogie extra, like he was just an extra he boogie. Is. He's a, he is. He's like extra boogie for a boogeyman. <laughs> He's just like, I rhyme all the time just because I can, just to be like a show off. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what it is, especially based on a line later. <laughs> okay. Although I, I really would like to see Larry rhyming all the time because that seems great too, but either way. Yeah, he doesn't. He finishes up a couple of other lines that happen with a rhyme, but I don't think he personally ever has a couplet that he says. Oh, well, Larry. I know. So maybe it's like over time, they couplet more and more. I don't know. (laughs) You were finishing each other's couplets. (laughs) So she drags the bag away from him because he like grabs it. But as she's doing this, the other boogeyman explodes out of the book in a pile of glitter and shreds of paper. I mean, that sounds like he's a fabulous boogeyman. <laughs> no, it's kind of a great scene. And he's like, Franny, Franny, Franny. And he drops the net on her because <laughs> she wasn't expecting him to come out of the book. <laughs> who, who is? And he passes the net on to his new boogie friend, Larry. And Larry's holding the net and they high five. <laughs> hey, you know what? <laughs> and this Larry- sounds like a really good feel good movie about how a disaffected and rejected imaginary friend became a boogeyman and found his place and found his people who be supportive of him. This is a great friendship story, Danielle. It is. It's the start of a friendship. You don't realize it, but the sequel, Don't Look Under the Bed to Boogie Boogaloo. There it is. I mean, it's right there. It's going to wait for it. You got to have Boogaloo in there somewhere. It's too perfect. And it's all about their friendship. <laughs> oh, man. I wish the movie like ended here. Then like, oh, yeah, let's go. And he like, they take them to a like a boogie hall where there's a boogie feast and they eat the kids. And like, <laughs> it's kind of like the end of the cartoon version of the Grinch where he's being accepted into the community. And he's like, I'm just so glad to finally find people who believe in me and accept me and support me. I kind of want to write that book. And then the next book is just them taking over like all the children's bedrooms. Yeah. And, like They're, saving like, all the imaginary of, yeah. friends from being inevitably discarded at the end. And you can't even be mad at them because it's sad that the imaginary friends were forgotten. Right. Like, hey, Imaginary friends, are you looking forward to a life of rejection and pain? Join the boogie world where we support each other. We will let you become the master of your own destiny, not longer bound or tied to some child's whim. I think it's perfect. I think it's great. Or read that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Anyway, so Larry's holding the net. (laughs) That's not what happens. It's a Disney movie. Larry holds the net while the boogeyman goes off with her brother in a sack. Like, he's just pulling the sack along towards the edge of a cliffside. And she's begging Larry to help him. And Larry's like, guess he should have believed in Larry if he wanted help. And so she starts screaming to Darwin. She's like, Darwin, remember Larry? He's your imaginary friend. She's like, ask him for help. And Darwin's like, dude, you told me he was fake and to forget about him. You said we had to be adults. What the actual heck is going on? (laughs) Like... 
Stop giving me crossing messages. Do we ever realize why Francis, presumably the most logical and the least believing person, can see Larry? No. No. Okay. Like Larry says, Larry specifically is like, I was sent to help you. That's why you can see me. Uh, I didn't know if there was some other explanation that they get into or not. No. And he like, he's just like, I don't know. I was supposed to be here. Like a little voice in my head told me I was supposed to be here. Okay. Sure. Fine. And so he is. And that's why she can see him supposedly. And so Evil Boogeyman is pulling the bag over to the cliffside to push him off. He's just like right on the edge. And Francis is yelling. I'm like, I was wrong. I was just afraid and I didn't know what to do. And I just thought you had to be grown up. So you could do anything and like believe, just believe in him. And then she full on Peter Pan's, which obviously is a throwback to the library. She's like, clap if you believe in Larry. No. <laughs> so funny. And he's in his little bag clapping. <laughs> you're like, okay. Danielle, I hate to say it, but if that were you, you'd be dead. You just know you could clap so inside funny. a sack. You can barely clap outside of a sack. I know, I'd be terrible. So the evil boogeyman, instead of just like throwing him off the cliff to end this charade, tells him to stop and is like trying to hold his hands down inside of the bag. Just, yeah, just toss him off the cliff, man. Game over. And Larry starts to like vibrate as Darwin's, you know, in the bag clapping. I believe in Larry. I believe in him. And he starts to vibrate. And then the boogeyman outside kind of just explodes away and he's Larry again. Yay, Larry. (laughs) Sure. He's like, I'm back, and lets Francis go and goes to help get uh, Darwin. And Francis works on trying to find something to plug the temporal fuge into. So, so she pulls actually... the cord through, like, there's got to be an outlet in Boogie World somewhere. <laughs> she, like, rigs this really weird metal device that she, like, ends up connecting it to. She, like, makes a generator in Boogie World? Yeah. So he, okay. I'm sure there's like more going. I was not paying as much attention as I should have been. I'm sure it, like if you looked at it, it probably kind of made sense what she was doing. But really, I just saw her connected to two pieces of metal. <laughs> I was sidetracked by the rest of the stuff going on. No, that's fair. So uh, Larry gets into a fight with the boogeyman who throws him across the space and then quips, I hate to be the one to tell you, but it's not too late for me to nail you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, all that's right. my favorite part. <laughs> and then his clock grows really long. And he tries to stab Larry, but it goes into the end of what looks like a giant plush hot dog. Okay. And I can only assume that was a joke for the adults watching. Ugh. So they had to use the word nail you using claw. Uh. And so he tries to stab Larry, and instead his claw goes into a plush hot dog. It pretty much looks like a giant hot dog, yes. Great. Love it. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> and then Larry breakdance fights for reasons. I don't know, because it looks cool. <laughs> Okay. I'm like Danielle. At this point, Boogie World is a land of joy. I'm just going with it. It's so good. And Darwin almost dies because the nail like pierces through the bag and he's like, ah! And then Larry grabs a giant pen to fight. And you know, as soon as he picks it up, it's specifically so he can say the pen is mightier than the sword because he's fighting with the giant nail. Yeah. And then the boogeyman grows two swords, like two nails out really long. And he's like, the pen is mightier than two swords. And then they go to battle. So he says the pen is mightier than two swords? Yeah. Okay. So he's like, it's better, it's better than the sword. Goes well, it's also mightier than two swords. Two swords. Okay. And the nails, the nails end up winning. He cuts the pen in half, the boogeyman. I wonder what the math is on that. Like, how many <laughs> swords are equivalent in power to one pen? I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> okay. Listeners, <laughs> write in and do the math for me. So as I said, meanwhile, Francis is ringing up some kind of metal device and she loops the plug to make sure to make electricity, I guess. And right as he's about to stab Larry, the boogeyman, she tells him to stop, which 
somehow makes him pause for a moment. <laughs> and when he turns, she hooks the jumper cables to his really long nails and starts the machine. And the boogeyman slowly ages does that like effect where they get older and older and the white hair comes out and he turns into an old woman and she's like franny 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 i'm so old i can't even remember how to rhyme anymore (laughs) (laughs) what is going on (laughs) i love this movie And Frances is like, wait a minute. I remember being called Franny because every time she said the boogeyman said Franny, she kind of gave him a weird look. But she's like, I remember being called Franny. And then the old woman holds up her fingers together, like the two really long nails, and puts the jumper cables together and creates all these sparks and it blows up the machine, which I'm not sure if that's how that works, but sure. I'd go with it. And she turns immediately back into the boogeyman. And oh, he's so like, the whole ah, like aging thing was all fake. Well, it wasn't fake. It was just that like the machine w- was aging him. He probably would have died in several seconds, or she would have died in several seconds. But I thought they retired. <laughs> retired, died, whatever. He's turning ancient. I don't, I don't like, know if they died. If you stop the machine unclear. midway, why does it revert back to being the younger age? I don't know why you wouldn't just stay in the. Maybe it has to complete the entire process oh, to right, make you whatever. stay that way. <laughs> I don't know, Sam. But he turns back into the boogeyman. He's like, ah, you lost. And France is like, I'm not afraid of you. I know who you are. And the boogeyman's like, really? And then does a Medusa moment where he does a big hiss and all of his hair kind of like snakes out. And he's like, not scary. (laughs) And she's like, stop. Only one person ever called me Franny. I'm sorry, Zoe. And her imaginary friend. Yeah, is her old imaginary friend from when she was little. And she just did not remember him at all. Her at all. Well, she remembered. She lied. (laughs) Oh. Why? Why would she lie to Larry? She's talking to an imaginary friend. Why lie to him? Because she was trying to be an adult, Sam. Okay. <laughs> she's 14. She's not that smart. Uh, that's been evident throughout this entire movie. <laughs> so, To be fair, though, like... no one in this movie has been shown to be very smart. <laughs> Larry's not bad. He's fine, but like all the adults for sure. <laughs> and so she apologizes to Zoe, and as she's doing this, the boogeyman kind of disappears, and a little blonde girl with the Lestat clothes appears as the evil outside seems to melt away. And I wouldn't say it's a little blonde girl. It's like a teenage blonde girl. Again, she keeps the outfit, which I love. Yeah. And it's all cleaned up, too. It's no longer like as, as gross as it was before. And they suddenly reappear magically in Francis's bedroom, and Darwin can now see Larry. Yay! Everybody's okay! Yay! Hurrah! Clap, 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 clap. And the parents knock and come into the room because they heard a strange noise. And also, FYI, it turns out that now they believe that their daughter is not responsible for anything since the same weird pranks just started happening over in Centerville. <laughs> so Middleburg in Centerville. <laughs> I, I don't even know. <laughs> Guys, come on. You guys have called it Normal Town. <laughs> we did that. I was in that one movie. <laughs> Normal Alaska, right? Oh, you know what? That's one for movies, I guess. Score one for movies. <laughs> uh, it was the dome movie. What was that movie called, Sam? Snowpocalypse. <laughs> so they don't. They believe that their daughter's not responsible for anything anymore, but they seem very unconcerned that their daughter kept babbling about boogeymen and imaginary people. Yeah, no, I don't care. Like if it's happening in Centerville, she was still like saying, "Hey, do you see this invisible person I can see?" Yeah, totally ignored and. No, I, I don't know. Hopefully everybody in school knows that she's... How do they know she didn't start a gang in Centerville? I don't know. I mean, it's as logical as her starting one there. <laughs> so Darlene tries to tell her parents, like, 
what happened. Like, there was a boogeyman. And they're like, ah, cute kid. Like, I'm taking you off to bed. And so they pick him up and take him out of the room, telling Francis that they believe in her. And then as they leave, Zoe reappears into the room and they hug it out. And she's British. And she turned into a bogey person when Darwin was getting his treatments and she needed to be an adult. So apparently both Darwin and her lost her their imaginary friends at the same time. Wait, so she was like four years older than Darwin and that's when she forgot her imaginary friends? That's why I said I don't understand the timeline of this movie, Sam. That makes no sense. <laughs> like, okay, maybe it was two years ago when she was 12. She might still have an imaginary friend, entirely possible. And Darwin was six or something, let's say. And so he lost his imaginary friend super early and so did she. But maybe. Like, maybe, right? Like, I just, I don't understand the timeline of this movie at all. But then why did it take so long for Darwin and Larry to realize that they no longer had imaginary friends? Don't know. Okay. So Zoe apologizes for all the trouble she caused and Larry plans to go off and save Centerville. He's like, I- I've got a calling. I've got to go. But doesn't he still need he to be both. with... Okay. I thought he still needed I to be he with... Could... He has free time, Sam. It's not like he played with your imaginary friend all day. I, I guess. Sure. <laughs> so Zoe explains that this is the last time she'll see of her, like of them. Oh, which doesn't make any sense to me and certainly no. doesn't make sense to like, her. No, now that you're believing us again, we're going to disappear forever. Yeah, she's like, you, we're only allowed to be around if you need us. And only little, you know, only little kids need us. And she's like, I did, what, but... I can see you. I want you in my life. Like, like it's like weird to Larry, know imaginary you're friends so exist. Cute. And you know, yeah. And Larry's like, but you don't need us right now, do you? And Francis is like, yes, I do. I can see you. I don't want to lose you again. I just found you all. And Larry steps in front of Zoe and is like, give me a minute to Zoe. And then leans down and kisses Francis. Which, no. man, your first kiss is with your brother's imaginary friend. <laughs> Isn't that kind of like kissing your brother? Because like his, it's from his mind. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that, Sam. It's it's quite the thing. But I'm sure when I was like 12 and saw this, I was like, it's so cute. Mm. And the director does an interview about it because he was talking that he considered it like a step towards adulthood. Like it was supposed to show Francis was kind of like moving to being more adult, which is what she had wanted kind of all along. So it's like that next step. So that was interesting context, I guess. Okay. But of note, because I think this is interesting, the actor who plays Larry is Ty Hodges, and he's black. And the actress playing Francis, Aaron Chambers, is white. And from all the accounts I read in the interview with the director, the director had to fight for the kiss to stay in the movie originally, since uh, Disney had a lot of trepidation regarding having the interracial kiss. But they ended up staying on board of it and decided to go ahead and like let that be the ending of the movie. So the director fought for it. Um, And so it became like a kind of a big deal in Disney circles, I guess, which is interesting for 1999, which is depressing. Yeah, I mean, like it was was already decades after one of the first major interracial kisses with Star Trek. So Mm -hmm. like, have we passed that? I would hope. I mean, I hope so. Disney did end up erring on the side of the proper thing to do, the correct thing to do, which was have the kids in it. But I guess they were worried about some of their like Southern affiliates in particular. Um, Oh, that's so so depressing. That's what the conversation was, but he ended up being able to talk them into it and Disney decided to stay on board with the original ending. And so that's the last scene is that she wakes up in her own bed and Darwin has, has come into the room and he wants to snuggle. And he says he's scared and she's like, oh, you know, it's okay. Like, Larry will protect you. There's no boogeyman under your bed anymore. And he's like, no, 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 I'm scared that I'm going to get sick again. And Larry had told him to come and ask her, like, how to deal with being afraid. And her advice seems to be, like, fake it till you make it. Like, you're going to be scared and it's okay to be scared, but just you know, keep plugging along and you'll eventually not be as afraid. And then they drift off to sleep. And then by far the creepiest scene. I was waiting for the shoe to drop here. (laughs) Zoe and Larry are like superimposed behind the pillows of the bed. 
and are like half floating while they look down on them and smile. And then they disappear kind of into the ether as Boogie Wonderland by Earth, Wind and Fire swells <laughs> into the ending credits. I don't know how they got that perfect song, but amazing. <laughs> it's so good. I love this movie. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> there, there's a lot that happened at the end there that kind of just like kind of <laughs> zoom by real quick. Do some commentary. Would you like to say anything on behalf of the movie, Sam? Uh, it sounds amazing, frankly. It sounds ridiculous, but it sounds like it's a lot of fun. Like, I would like to watch it. I think you should watch it. It is available on Disney Plus for any uh, listeners who would like to watch this movie. I highly recommend it. It is classic 90s, early 2000s Disney Channel original movie. Yeah, it sounds like crazy, but fun. Yeah. And it is a little creepy, like, not as an adult, obviously, but it definitely still has that. But, like, I understood when I was a kid. I was like, yeah, it was creepy. <laughs> and the idea that you stop liking your imaginary friends too soon and they turn into Boogeyman is, like, terrifying. Like, the concept of this world is really interesting. Yeah. I, that's just, but I, there was, I don't know what too soon means. I think just before it naturally happens. Like, if some kind of factor comes into play that wasn't supposed to happen. And they stop believing in it. Like a sister. Like a sister or, you know, whatever. Reality smacks you upside the head in the case of Darwin. And you stop believing too soon. Whatever too soon is. I don't know if there's a specific age that somebody ages out, but I imagine there's like, it's supposed to happen more naturally. Like you just don't need them anymore as opposed to being forced out of believing in them. All right. Well, sure. I'll accept that. And I feel sorry for all the boogeymen I've created over the years, probably. <laughs> Did you have a lot of imaginary friends, Sam? No, 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 I definitely burst a lot of bubbles. Oh, yeah, that sounds like something you would do. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, Danielle, thank you so much for sharing that lovely movie with me. Something I missed in my childhood, I suppose. Well, totally worth watching as an adult. <laughs> the only one that really still bothers me is how they're like, oh, clearly you did all these terrible pranks. Oh, I guess not. And then like, there's just no resolution to that at all. <laughs> there is very little resolution to that. I'm thinking of all the like post things that are going to happen when she goes back to school and how she probably won't have any friends, but oh well. Yeah, no, it's going to be wild. I also cut out several things. Like at one point she loses her best friend because her best friend thinks that she's behind a prank, but it was so inconsequential to the plot that I took it out. No offense to Joanna or Joanne or whatever. She was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well... I, 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 there's something else. That movies, I have no comments. The movie's perfect. Yeah, it is. I hope, uh, I would love to hear your take on it when you finally watch it, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll be sure to let you know, although I'm afraid our listeners will not get that. Maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, if you out there have an imaginary friend that you are afraid has turned into a boogeyman, please let us know. We can hook you up with a helpline and maybe a support group that will help you save your friend. 1-800-IMAGINARY-FRIEND. <laughs> well, <laughs> to get that, you can just contact us at bookretorts.com. Or just believe. Clap your hands, everybody. Your imaginary friends will turn away from boogie world and <laughs> turn back into imaginary friends. I wanted to see where you're going with that, Danielle. <laughs> It makes them come back. So if you remember your imaginary friend's name, which I'm sure many people do, go ahead and clap your hands. They should turn back from boogeymen if they're now boogeymen. <laughs> Boogie people. And like I said, if you need help with that, you can just definitely reach out to us. We're happy to help. Clap yeah. or whatever. Well, Sam will help you clap. I, I'm not capable. You can help them by believing. <laughs> I will. I can believe with you. Sam will clap with you. Yeah. Well, teamwork. <laughs> Anyway, as I said, that was bookretorts.com. And you can tweet, Instagram, or Facebook us at bookretorts. 
And if for whatever reason you think that your imaginary friend want you to support us, you can do so <laughs> at patreon.com slash book retorts. I'm going to tell you right now, your imaginary friend definitely wants you to support us. <laughs> yeah. We talked to them. They're totally behind that. They, they want that to happen. We know Larry personally. <laughs> Absolutely. We wear sunglasses together on the weekends. <laughs> we have dogs that also wear sunglasses. Oh, why even have a dog we that wears sunglasses? Dog yeah. <laughs> dog friends. All right. Well, uh, until next time, stay out of Boogie World. <laughs> <laughs> and until then, bye. Take care, everybody. the things that you remember danielle like you, you've seen time bandit several times no memory of that but this <laughs> yeah, very little this keeps with you i don't know why i think it was just the con like it was a cool story idea that the imaginary friends turn into boogeymen like it's a crazy it's a crazy idea and the boogeymen live under your bed and then they end up in the boogie world like i don't know and i really liked ty Hodges is the actor. Like, he's a yeah. good actor for that role. And also, making out their imaginary friends. What's up to like? I mean, like, I know. As, like, a kid, I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, that <laughs> sounds like a great idea. I'm all in. <laughs>